Welcome back to another episode of SLMA Radio and our rotating series of shows. This week is Revenue Rebels, back again with our host, Ron Morgan, CEO of Demand Lab, the sponsor of the program as well. So without further ado, let's bring her in. Hey, Ron. I am really excited today to have a guest back with us for a second interview. David Premer is founder and chief sales scientist of Cerebral Selling, and he's joining us today to talk about how specific framing of marketing and sales messaging can increase engagement and conversion rates. Welcome back, David. Hey, pleasure to be back. Thanks for having me again. Really glad to have you on the show again. I'm excited about this topic. And for listeners that haven't had a chance to listen to our last conversation, can you take a minute just to tell us a little bit about your background? For sure. So, you know, as a seller, most sellers tend to get into sales these days by accident. And I am, you know, just like everyone else, an accidental seller. I started my career over 20 years ago as a research scientist. So as a kind of very curious person, I got into sales by accident at the turn of the dot-com boom and over the next 20 years spent my time across uh, four amazing startups. Uh, three of those startups uh, ended up getting acquired. Uh, one company which I helped start in 2008 was acquired by Salesforce where I spent five amazing years learning how those sales machines were built both operationally and culturally at scale before realizing after all that time that what I really love to do the most is teach the art and science of modern selling which is what I do today through my uh, cerebral selling practice. Awesome. I love the idea how you frame it up with being an accidental seller. I can relate to that a lot. I think a lot of people can. And what a fantastic background, I think, to bring to the table with the folks that you're working with every day. Glad that you can join us and share some of that with us. During our last episode, we talked about inside sales and where it should sit within the organization. So to our listeners, if you haven't listened to that yet, I really recommend you go back. It's on our website. It's on the SLMA site and listen to that one. It was a really great conversation. David shared a lot of great stuff. Today, we're going to dig into the topic of messaging. David, I really like how you talk about this on your blog post titled, Want to Sell Someone a Band-Aid? Cut them. And um, I love that title. It caught my attention right away as I was going through your content. You frame this with a concept of vitamin versus painkiller selling. And I'd love if you can tell us a bit more about the approach, just general high level. Walk us through that. Yeah, for sure. Well, like the the idea when people say like vitamin or painkiller selling, you know, people typically buy things to do one of two things, to take some kind of pain away that they're experiencing or to move towards a gain. So if you think about if you have a headache, you go and you take your your Tylenol, your Advil, and that kind of takes the pain away. That's the painkiller approach versus a vitamin, which is, hey, look, I, I feel okay now, and I want to make sure I feel okay next week as well. So I'm going to take a vitamin just to make sure that I feel better next week. So that's really kind of the main difference. We buy things for pain and gain. And so the question is, when you are positioning your solution, when someone says, what do you do? Like, what direction do you go in? Right? So that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of the, the premise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I imagine, I know you're working with a, clients on a myriad of topics and challenges that they're working through. I assume several of them have come to you with this concern as well, or perhaps you start working with them and you uncover that this might be one of their major gaps or uh, areas of issue, right? How do you help companies do that 
gut check to determine which approach they're using now? Yeah, well, I, I think kind of going back to first principles, when you ask someone, well, what do you do? Like, what does your company do? That's always a good first place to start. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people, especially in the, the kind of technology space, get very enamored with their solution especially people higher up, the founders and so on, sure. they, you know, they're very, very close to it. When someone says, what do you do? Like, what do you say? And just, you can ask yourself that you can ask people in your organization and see kind of how the message comes out. And then ask yourself, is that message more, if it's well understood, I mean, that's kind of the first thing, is it more pain centric? Does it talk about a problem that exists in the market that you're solving? Or is it more of like this aspirational message? You know, are you trying to kind of move towards this ideal state? So it's actually understanding which version of the message you typically use most is actually not that hard. Are you going in for pain or are you going in for gain? But start with that question of when someone says, well, what is it that you do? Mm -hmm. Like, what do you, what do you say? Mm -hmm. Right. See what comes out. And can you share a few examples with us? Yeah. I mean, you know, for example, so my third startup, and I often talk about this, what we actually did. Okay. So this is like, there's always a difference between what you actually do. And this is kind of where this band-aid, you know, cutting people comes through. And by the way, for those of you listening, I am not advocating that go anyone go out and intentionally harm anyone. <laughs> it's this idea that, hey, if you want to sell a band-aid, you could either, I say, you look for people with cuts, which is kind of the painkiller approach. You look for people who are afraid of getting cuts. And those are the, the vitamin people. And then you cut people, right? And cut people is kind of like a, it's like a euphemism, a take on the painkiller approach. And it's this idea that, you know, when, when people have problems in their business or problems they're looking to solve, we often don't walk around and consciously kind of are able to articulate those problems. And you've experienced this. I'm not pointing at you, Rob, but I'd say <laughs> we as people experience, like if you've ever watched an infomercial, I love infomercials. If you've ever watched an infomercial on TV or you're watching the home shopping channel and you're looking at something or you walked into like a Costco, I'm a big Costco guy. So I walk into Costco and you see something that you didn't know you needed before, <laughs> before mm -hmm. you started infomercially. And then you walk out with it. And all of a sudden, you're like, why did this happen? I was not looking for this thing. But chances are the marketing, the positioning, the demo, whatever it is that you saw kind of drew you in and, and cut you, right? Made you realize that you had a pain that you were not previously aware of. Mm -hmm. To give you some examples, my third startup, what we actually did, and this is not how I would pitch it, but what we actually did, we were a, a, a what we call a social performance management platform. So it's based on this idea that people at work need lots of coaching and feedback and recognition. And we provided an online platform to do that. But if I were to pitch that to you and say, hey, Ron, you know, it's your company. Would you like more feedback and coaching and recognition? You might be like, yeah, I guess like that sounds good. But I don't know if that's really high on my priority list. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that we did was we found an enemy. And this is a really great tactic when you're trying to figure out like the painkiller approach and be pain centric. We picked an enemy and our enemy was something called the annual performance review. And, and probably a lot of people out there <laughs> have familiar. had or familiar with annual performance reviews. Yeah, sure. And people use the word hate 80% of the time to describe annual per performance reviews. And so what, to give you an example, one of the, one of the things as we learned through growing that business, we didn't go out and say, Oh yeah, we're like a feedback coaching and performance solution. We said, you know, we are a solution for people who love feedback, but they hate performance reviews, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And that doesn't tell you what we actually do, but it tells you who our enemy is. And if you have that pain, I'm now cutting you by telling mm -hmm. you that most people like you hate performance reviews. You're like, oh my gosh, yes. You know what? 
we do hate performance reviews. Thank you so much for, do you have a solution? Right? right. So like, that's the kind of thing we talk about cutting and pain centric messages. That's a good example. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And, and it also really aligns, I think with what we talk a lot about around content and content marketing, which is, you know, being relevant, that's immediately connecting to a person. I'm sure it's easier to connect to their pains rather than maybe even everything that's good in their lives, because maybe people take more, take that more for granted. I don't know. We talk a lot about this same concept with our clients when we're working on content or, or content marketing or whatever, right? Looking through the content and seeing that a lot of it is, and I'll suggest to our listeners that so they go and look at your blog post around the sea of sameness, but a lot of that, they end up sort of all sounding the same. They're not well differentiated. What I'd love to learn a little bit from you is, you know, as you come from the sales perspective, what role does marketing play in helping an organization transform from selling vitamins to painkillers? The really important thing is that marketing and sales stay very close and aligned on this message because, and this is no knock on marketing, oftentimes some of these messages get conceived in like a lab environment, right? Where, mm -hmm. you know, hey, look, we, we haven't really talked to customers, but we've worked up this pitch, we've worked up this messaging, it sounds good to us. But in the light of day, as salespeople are delivering the message to customers, they're not able to deliver it with high conviction, with simplicity, with the right kind of pain-centric approach. And so my advice, both to sales and marketing, is to stay really close. I mean, marketing is really great as products are developed and released. Typically, there's like a product marketing manager who's responsible for this positioning, but they need to kind of temper that positioning with what's actually happening on the field in sales. And I've seen tons of you know, sellers go out there with messages that have been conceived in a lab that customers just don't understand, mm -hmm. right? So it's got to be done kind of in a very, like, imagine if you're in marketing, think about what it would be like. And I, I, by all means, you should be getting out there talking to customers mm -hmm. as well. But, but think about what it would be like to have a casual conversation with a customer where you bring up this pain and your pitch and how you're kind of positioning it in a way that just, it's very simple. It resonates deeply. And it's something that, you know, I also think from an enablement standpoint, it's something that everyone in your sales and marketing team in your organization can just very easily and uh, I would say uh, like intuitively tell the story. So I would focus on not just the message, but how it's going to manifest and be told uh, by your by your field team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it comes back to framing out that story, developing the story, creating one that everybody sort of can connect to and identify with. And I, I agree with you completely. Product marketing and marketing has to be out there with sales. And, and I would suggest even joining on those sales calls and really being a part of that so you can hear that. And I'd also say, do you, do you use personas when you're developing this framing, the messaging, the, the framework of this messaging with your clients? Are personas a part of that at all? They are. And I, there's kind of two dimensions to the persona. It's like, who are you selling it to? And then what is the product? Because I, I feel a lot of times mm -hmm. people and companies, they try to create a pitch for that encompasses everything they do. And most <laughs> of the time, right? Yeah. If you, you found that as well. Like most of the time companies, they have multiple products, right? They sell to different stakeholders. And so it's okay to have, let's say a a pain centric or cutting centric message that is geared to from one type of product to one type of persona and a completely different set geared to another. Yeah. Interesting. The challenge there I'd say is probably when you've got a really big 
buying team or buying unit and you're trying to like, you can feel a little bit, uh, you've got to send seven messages uh, to a single team and have them all take it as an individual. Uh, but I do, I, I think that it's important that you're bringing in the personas. That's really, I think, very cool. Very good. Hey, you know what? As time does continue to move forward mm-hmm. without us being able to stop it, we are at our halfway point in this conversation. We're going to take a really quick break, learn a little bit more about Demand Lab and that is us and we're sponsoring this podcast as well. Excited to say. I will turn it over to Paul for a quick break. And the quick break is this. Demand Lab helps organizations like yours transform their revenue potential by connecting their greatest assets, people, processes, technology, and data. They do it through customized revenue ecosystem solutions. By leveraging marketing technology, data science, governance, and analytics, and, of course, content, Demand Lab helps B2B organizations advance business goals and drive revenue. Isn't that what it's really all about? If you want to learn more, just go visit their website, Demand Lab Solutions, all of them, at demandlab.com. Just like it sounds, demandlab.com. All right, let's pick it back up with Roan and her guest. Thanks, Paul. Okay, let's jump back into our discussion with sales expert David Premer. He is the founder and chief sales scientist at Cerebral Selling. And today we're talking about a specific messaging approach to supporting sales and marketing throughout the organization. So David, let's jump right back in. Can you tell us a story about some of the successes that you've seen in taking the painkiller approach? Some elaborate on Uh, something you touched on a little bit earlier, but um, maybe a specific business that you've observed or a client that you've had. Walk us through the story of their successes. Just to kind of touch on something we talked about earlier, this idea of focusing on pain versus gain and the question of like, what should I focus on? I know we're talking about Mm pain-centric messages here, but you know, aren't gain-centric messages just as good? Mm -hmm. And I would say, first of all, like they can sound just as good, but the data and psychological science tells us that loss is is a much more powerful motivator. And this kind of goes back to Daniel Kahneman's research. And he wrote a book called Thinking Fast and Slow, but actually won the Nobel Prize in economics for this principle called loss aversion. Mm -hmm. And the, the best way to describe it is like, if you went to casino and you won $100 at the casino, you feel pretty good right? But if you lost $100, you would feel markedly worse compared mm-hmm. to the how good you feel, right? So that's why that's kind of like the science of like why we focus on kind of loss and loss aversion. But to can give you some examples, there's a one uh, organization, I always talk about it, they're a company called a uh, trunk club. And they were based in Chicago, and they were actually acquired by Nordstrom. And one of the things that they did, if you I don't know, are you familiar with trunk club at all? If you I have heard of it. Okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah. What does Trunk Club do? Oh, it's been so long ago. Okay. okay. <laughs> I think it was a personal shopping sort of experience. That's like right. That. That's right. Oh. So the, the, that's it. So the idea was if you're a man, you go, it was for men originally, you go online and you put in your measurements and the colors that you like and all that kind of stuff. And they, you know, they, what they do is they have a virtual stylist who curates a bunch of clothes for you, ships them in a box in a trunk to your, you know, door every month. They, and whatever you like, you keep and whatever you don't like, you send back. But if they position that as a, oh, like, what is Trunk Club? Oh, it's a service for men, uh, like, for shopping. We send you stuff in a box. And then, you know, someone would say, oh, okay, I guess that's good. 
But what they went out with was a message very, very simple, but very pain-centric and polarizing. They said, at Trunk Club, what do we do? Well, you know, we realize that men want to look good, but they hate to shop, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so now I'm cutting men, right, who are like, yes, oh my gosh, I hate to shop, but I still want to look good. Now what do I do? And I'll tell you, there's a lot of clients that I work with that are, you know, what I would call in the compliance space. So a lot of technologies out there are built on this idea of compliance, you know, whether it's let's say, you know, absentee, absent management at work, maybe it's, uh, you know, uh, fraud prevention, maybe it's Mm -hmm. security, for example, and they sell their products and they say, oh, like, oh, like we're a network security product. And some people might look at that and say, oh, well, like, that's nice, but I already have network security, so I don't need that. And so like going out with like a more of a cutting message would be most organizations that we work with don't even realize how far out of compliance they are. They are so legally exposed and, you know, and, and they would kind of go on from there, right? Mm-hmm. So we're talking about a lot of pain, a lot of legal exposure. And I'm not telling you what I do. I'm not telling you I'm a security company, but I'm, I'm, ta- I'm cutting you, right? Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the pain. I'll give you an example from my own website. And there's a lot of different ways that you can pitch with questions. And so I'll give you a couple quick examples. Like if you go on my website, it doesn't say, oh, it's David, and he does like sales training and sales education, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It says, you ever wonder why you don't like talking to salespeople? And I know that's a good question because I can be speaking in rooms of hundreds of people, hundreds of salespeople, and I ask them like, hey, hands up here. Who likes talking to salespeople? Mm-hmm. No one raises their There's usually a couple sadistic people, but usually no one raises their hand. Start. These are examples of messages uh, that, are, that are polarizing. They're simple. They don't talk about what the product actually does because no one really cares, right? They don't care what the product does until they know why it does it, right? right? And so here's examples of where you're just, you're talking about pain, pain, pain. Yeah. And and I see that in the move away from the sort of features and benefits sell sheets, right? Uh, Which I don't feel like I've seen an effective one in a pretty long time. I guess they're effective perhaps later on, but certainly not in the earlier stages. I really like that you're asking this question to salespeople, right? So are they interested in in chatting with people that are doing their same work? And (laughs) how do those folks learn how to break through the barriers that we as humans, regardless of our work, are putting up against uh, having those conversations. Yeah. So. Well, I think a lot of this is also just having empathy for your audience, right? Mm-hmm. And so this idea of if my job is to build armies of salespeople that you would want to talk to, I need to get you to listen to me first. Like, so I'm up there on stage or I'm like, I'm writing a blog post or whatever it is. And you're deciding in your head, like, who the hell is this person? And is this person worth listening to? And and I'd say all sales and marketing people experience the same thing. We get inundated with so many products and emails and phone calls and, and the whole thing that we're trying to decide, we're playing traffic cop in our head. We're trying to decide what we're going to expose our brain to. And so if I'm in that environment and I say, hey, look, who here likes talking to salespeople? And I'm doing this in a room full of salespeople, <laughs> right? who just had this all of a sudden epiphany that they don't like talking to people like them now. And I haven't even talked about any content. Now, all of a sudden you're very interested to hear what I I have to say. Right. And so there's a, there's a value in bringing people's problems to them and framing it in this way that allows you to kind of step in with your solution. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Hey, we've got a few minutes left for this conversation. Could you share maybe a a few of the first steps that you recommend to your clients that they should take as they're starting to sort of 
evaluate where they're at and determine what their painkiller message should be. Yeah, for sure. You know, one of the biggest things I talk about is this idea of like, who is your enemy? Who is your enemy? And in the kind of the Band-Aid article on my website, I talk about this a little bit. Try to be you know, polarizing. I actually have some videos on this on my, uh, my YouTube channel as well. But like, who is your enemy? And I would say for those of you who are listening, like a bad enemy is a competitor, right? You know, your enemy isn't, if you're, you know, your Oracle, your enemy shouldn't be Microsoft. Like that's a, that's a poor competitor. That's a, a poor uh, enemy. But your enemy could be like a status quo process, wasted time, uh, compliance, security. So find out who is the enemy of your solution. And that's a really great way to start. Mm-hmm. And then the, the second thing I would suggest is thinking about like when you're doing discovery with a client, the idea is what you want to do is you want your clients to have these like mini epiphanies. It would be great if all of our clients were looking for our solution and had our solution kind of top of mind as the, you know, on their top three priority list. And sometimes we are, sometimes we we get lucky, but most of the time we don't, right? And so we have to create the need. We have to create the business. It's not that we're, we are uh, manufacturing it, but we need to awaken the giant within our customers. And so think about what are some of the challenges that your customers have that they don't either A, talk about, or B, they have, but they're not always aware of. It's not top of mind. And I'll 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 give you a funny example. So I run a a local sales leadership meetup of high growth uh, sales leaders uh, in Toronto where I live. And I run these meetups. We just had one last night. And one of the topics that came up amongst the group, and this is like the trust tree. So we don't, you know, we, we, we all keep the conversation in the trust tree. A lot of these sales leaders report to like CEOs of their company. Mm-hmm. One of the things that comes up is they say, does anyone else here have like a crazy CEO that you're just, <laughs> <laughs> that you just can't get through? And like, they ask you all these questions. That's like, what the hell is this person thinking? And everyone was like, yes, yes. My CEO is crazy. And how do, how do I deal with it? And ironically, we have about four CEOs in this group <laughs> who, you know, who are, you know, very self-aware. Thank goodness. Yeah. But, but that's the idea. Like if I asked a team of sales leaders, what do you want to talk about when we meet up? No one would say my crazy CEO. And yet, if I were to be in this group of sales leaders and say, Hey, does anybody else have a crazy CEO? All of a sudden people come out of the woodwork. That is an example of in that environment cutting people. They're like, yes, it's a problem I have. I didn't know I had it or I, I had it, but I didn't know other people have mm-hmm. it. And and so the idea of like, what is the, what I call like the unknown or unspoken in your customer environments and who is the enemy of your product? Those are two great places to start. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love that. Uh, awaken the giant within finding the unknown or unspoken, which again, actually makes me think and takes me back to personas, not persona. I mean, persona is the way that they should be done, which is actually with some interviewing and very deep understanding of the client, because you can't guess at something like that, that they've, you know, the, the idea that there's a challenge because you've got a crazy CEO, you can't guess that somebody's dealing with that or even knows yet that they're dealing with it. So it comes down to learning as much as you can about your audience and your market. And the reverse, I was going to say the reverse is true. So for example, let's take the men want to look good, at, but hate to shop. If you are a man and you want to look good, but you love to shop, mm-hmm. then, then trunk club is not for you, right? If you love feedback and, and you love performance reviews, then our product, social performance management is not for you. Mm-hmm. So you have to also be prepared if you're going to pick an enemy and be polarizing that some people will just not acquiesce to your solution. And that's actually okay. Yeah, absolutely. 
you cannot have every single customer uh, on the planet. I think, I think, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, and you got to be okay with that. Fantastic. Well, David, uh, we're at the end of our time here. It always goes by very quickly as we're chatting. I feel like we could definitely talk on another full episode length. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's so great having you on the show as always. What is the best way for listeners to reach out to you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the best way is just to go to cerebralselling.com. It sounds, it's spelled the way it sounds. Uh, and, uh, you can reach me through the website or you can hit me up on LinkedIn, but yeah, I, you know, I'd say like, go check out the website, check out the content. There's a content contact me page. And by all means, I, you know, I love giving the content away for free. You don't have to register for anything. Yeah. So by all means, go, go check it yeah, out. And it's a fantastic library of resources. So I really recommend that people go and check out the website and look through all the great content that you've been putting together for, for years now. Uh, great. So a big thank you to our listeners for tuning in again to Revenue Rebels. I am your host, Roan Morgan. You can find me on LinkedIn by looking up Demand Lab or searching for Roan, that's R-H-O-A-N, Morgan on LinkedIn. All right, now back over to you, Paul. You've been listening to another episode of Revenue Rebels, right here on the Funnel Radio channel for at-work listeners like you. Brought to you by Demand Lab. <laughs>